Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a podcast wherein Kyle and I uh, introduce each other to films. And in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of October in the year of our Lord, 2019. And uh, we have a little event going on. Uh, we like to call it... <laughs> <laughs> um, you folks at home can't see it, but a, di- a tiny dog just jumped into <laughs> Kyle's lap. Um, she was coming up. So yeah, uh, October 2019, uh, we're doing a, a special event we like to call Kyle's Killer October. Yes. Uh, and basically, that means Kyle has control over the programming decisions this month for the entire four weeks. Uh, so I'm at the mercy of Kyle when it comes to which movies I'll be subjected to for the next four weeks. Uh Last week, we covered James Wan's Insidious, mm-hmm. uh, which I had never seen before, but Kyle insisted I watch. Yes. And uh, this week, Kyle, what movie are we covering? Uh, this week, we're actually covering The Babadook, or Babadook, if you're American, uh, from 2014, uh, directed by Jennifer Kent. Uh, she's also directed The Nightingale, which is fairly new. Mm-hmm. I think it might have just left theaters, honestly. Um, it's. It says, I keep getting 2018 and 2019, I'm not sure when it actually came out. Um, but I actually am going to try to catch that at some point. Um, I chose this one because uh, I rewatching uh, Insidious was a little little underwhelming this time. I remember looking back on it uh, being much better. And this is another one I was kind of worried about. I'm like, I remember really liking The Babadook. And I want Trevor to see it because there's some cool stop motion and some stop motion that's not a part of this that I thought was. Yeah. <laughs> More on that later. Um but I wanted to see this because I, I was uh, was really impacted the first time I, I saw this. And uh, it's more of a drama than a horror, I would say. Yeah, it's it's very much so like a psychological thriller that turns into a horror film yeah. in the last like, 30, 40 minutes. Um, needs to be said, uh, Kyle's Killer October this time around seems to be centered around modern horror. Is that right? Yes, contemporary horror this time, uh, except for the last movie we're gonna do. Yeah, that that's a that's a special event. Yeah, uh, Kyle's Kyle's been waiting on that one for a while. Yeah. So I'll give him that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've seen it before, but you know it's something he hasn't. Uh, so we'll use that as an excuse for him to catch up on his horror cinema. But uh, yeah, I I kind of agree with you on Insidious. Like, I didn't think of it as an amazing film by any means, but for historical purposes, I thought it was, I thought it was very educational. <laughs> um, because I know James Wan these days as the director of, you know, huge summer blockbuster films. Uh, every director gets their start somewhere, though, and James Wan had his Saw and his Insidious. Yeah. Um, I've, I had seen Saw coming into Insidious, but... Um, it was interesting to take a look at his earlier films and also just to take a look at like in context mm-hmm. what we were doing in the world of horror in in what was it 2010 yeah 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 to me insidious was kind of the the face of of the horror movement at that time um i was gonna say hereditary i don't talk about it too much on this podcast uh. <laughs> but in daily life you certainly do seemingly every time i see you yeah pretty much uh well it's hard not to bring up hereditary when you think about this uh this is also this is an australian uh film hereditary is not an australian film but it has a, uh, an australian lead this also has an australian lead but this is actually an australian director jennifer kent um the budget was two million it only grossed like 10 million which made money but this wasn't a huge hit yeah that's a hell of a ratio that is pretty good though considering this was 
pretty cheap budget. Um, I mean, that's that's generally what you get with horror movies. But, yeah. You know, ten ten million back from a two million dollar investment. That's not bad. It was an eight. It was an eight million ROI. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Um, yeah, looking back, like going back and rewatching this, I like this movie so much more as a drama than I do as a horror movie. Uh, I feel like the horror elements are there. There is a the way it builds is I would say horror. We get our stuff at night, and that's kind of when the... Oh, uh, mental illness. Ever heard of it? Uh, <laughs> that's what this film's centered around. But the way... It, Alternate it, title. <laughs> the way it progresses, the way they the way they show it in the movie, it definitely progresses like a horror movie. And it finishes much like a horror movie. Yeah, uh, it's... I really like the way, the way the character development happens in this film. And also the way the drama unfolds. Uh, because there's... I wouldn't call them red herrings, but there's a lot of misdirection that happens where it's we're not entirely sure what sort of movie we're going to be getting based on the way things are progressing. Yeah. Because, I mean, I was telling you off air that like I, I saw a couple of different routes that this, this story could have played out. Yeah, you, have a th- yeah, you had a theory. I, I had a couple of theories that I, I tend to do that when I'm watching movies. I tend to develop my own plot as, as things are playing out. And I was wrong, but I wasn't disappointed. Um, I was actually, uh, the reason I brought up Hereditary is because I think that this movie is, uh, I don't want to say like the current state of horror, <laughs> of horror movies, but it does seem to be the way we're, we're mixing up genres a little bit in horror. And when you were talking like how uh, it's it's rapidly, rapidly evolving horror, Absolutely. And the style does. And I think that this was one of the first movies of that style where we're kind of merging styles. Yeah, I, I know the Babadook has a stellar reputation mm-hmm. um like you said it probably didn't make the most money when yeah. it comes to horror films but it probably wasn't played internationally all that you know to that many screens no but i for the horror fandom it's very well regarded mm-hmm. and i would not be surprised if it if it influenced a lot of of what we got a few years down the road because um, it, it's very creative, and more than that, it's it's very well made. Oh, it's, it's like top to bottom. It's beautiful to look at. The performances are through the roof. I would say. I think that the kid. I normally don't like horror movie kids. I think the kid is effective. I think he's good. Oh, the, the actor. He is so fucking obnoxious. Yeah. But he's supposed. To he's be. supposed to be. But he does a good job at it. He's uh, so good at it. But it's like, god damn, I hate this kid <laughs> so much. Uh, the mom, Essie Davis, uh, hits it out of the park. Um, the neighbor, just all the all the different characters in the film really do a good job. Um, there was another there's another example I was thinking of, and it was Kill List, which kind of merges action with horror. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you before. You did, yeah. Uh, that came out around 2011. Um, it was also I think it was a British film as well. So this I wouldn't say that this was the this was the film that kind of. It, it's not the first one to do this, but I think it does it the best that I've seen of merging the two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a trendsetter by no. any means, but like I, like I said on the previous episode, horror is an ever-evolving genre, much more so than other genres. It moves, it progresses much more quickly mm-hmm. because the product output is like the volume. Like, And not only that, it's a genre that's well-known for paying homage to that which came before mm. uh, without it being considered like dirty pool like uh, there's there's certain genres where if you imitate that which came before like say for instance you make a Kubrickian drama or something yeah good luck with that yeah uh, you're gonna be laughed out of town like you're people good. are gonna be like I know what you're doing 
and stop it. <laughs> I've seen The Shining. I know what you're doing. Oh, speaking of which, have you seen the trailer for Doctor Sleep? Uh, no, I have not. Um, it's the sequel to The Shining. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, I think Stephen King actually wrote the book, or at least the source material, um, but it's no joke. It's the sequel to The Shining featuring the boy from The Shining, now, now as Ewan McGregor, I think. Oh, okay. That's and they better. go back to Overlook. Ooh. Um, yeah, they, they released a trailer, like, I think a month ago. Interesting. I, I kind of assumed you'd seen it, but no. I guess not. No, I've been busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about, uh, there's a few instances, instances of visual storytelling in here, the way we progress. Oh, the first half hour of this movie is lovely. Yeah. Um, not very much is said, but so much is communicated just by, just by good framing like good good framing of subjects mm-hmm. um and just wistful looks into the middle distance <laughs> the when she's when she's checking the room for monsters she never says it the kid never asks you just see her holding him opening up the armoire looking underneath the bed see it's clear we we that's it it instead of like saying it and wasting a few more seconds we just see it, and it i thought that was really nice yeah there's there's a lot of that and i mean I think I say this every episode, like visual storytelling is, that's, that's like my favorite aspect of film when you can communicate so much just by, just by editing, like the timing of how you stitch your shots together and the way you frame your, your figures. It's really, really, really good stuff in this film. For See, sure. Um, I think that I, I text you, I'm like, this, this movie is about depression and mental illness. And I think it's really easy to follow and interpret. It's pretty on the nose. It's telling you directly, like, this is what's happening. Uh, I could just be saying that I w- was a psych major and I've had to like read about, um, uh, depression and how it can manifest. But I think pop psych, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with the themes in this movie. Yeah, no, you, you have to be making an effort to not pay attention to if yeah. if you didn't notice it then you didn't watch the movie. you didn't watch the movie it's it's pretty easy to see there are other movies that are a little more difficult to interpret like hagazuza um it's um spoiler alert it's a witch movie but it's not on the nose like the witch uh it's a little bit different but man still. i i went and did some bullshit with the witch when i was watching it like i i made it so much more complicated in my head when i was in the theater like i should have just tra- i should have just treated it as like a straightforward yeah. experience as it as it's supposed pre- to be yeah as it's presented to you but no i like my stupid conspiratorial brain was like going off in all these weird tangents and all these weird directions and i made the movie so much more complicated it's like no it's, it's a witch movie yeah like, in it's the first 10 a... minutes they kind of lay it out to you it's a fucking witch it's so <laughs> simple it's literally ju- it reads i mean the movie is actually like you just literally read the story like, yeah it, it... no but no I, I had all these theories and shit about what was actually going on it's like no Guess not. I guess it was just a fucking witch. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, like, it, with all the films that are out now, it's complicated. I mean, just try to get through uh, a Darren Aronofsky film without like making up your own stuff. Like, oh, what the fuck's happening? Or, or Lars von Trier for Christ's sake. Uh, <laughs> watch the Element of Crime and tell me what you think of that. Tell me what's happening in that movie. You can't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the the story revolves around. Uh, I I I don't I didn't write down the names. I just went with mom and kid because they're the main. Uh, single mom and kid sure. are the, are the main uh, people in this movie. Um, we learn that the dad was killed in a car accident, and we find out later uh, he was killed in a car accident, taking her to the hospital to have him. Yeah, because the boy won't shut the fuck up about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So the 
he died on the way to the hospital. So she says, like, he says, my birthday's on the day that my dad died. Yeah. Um, we we learn that the mom is um, not doing so well. Like, she, like, showing up, like, early in the movie, she's, uh, I, what would you say, frazzled or a little disheveled. Um, there's a few scenes in here where uh, the outfit choices and the way her hair, uh, hair is presented, she looks like a straight-up mental patient, mm-hmm. especially at home. When it progresses, and I've, did you notice her, the use of hair throughout the film? Like, it, it was just subtle, but it, it was always kind of, like, signifying what her mood was at the time. Did you? Did you I, I didn't really look into it too much, but I did notice that she appeared to be very tired mm-hmm. and, and was probably unkempt. You know, she never looked like she was as well put together as she probably would have liked to have been. And she's lovely. She's actually a very lovely actress. Um, yeah, but her patience is thin. The kids she, making. She reminds wet. me of the the gal from a. Uh, she, I think she was on Saturday Night Live. She was on a Third Rock from the Sun. I know you're talking about Jane Curtin. There you go. Yeah, she reminds me of her a little bit. Oh, I can see that. A little I like bit. her. <laughs> she, she is affable. I do like Jane. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the context is. Uh, <laughs> don't need it. It's just funny. Um, so yeah, patience is thin. The kid is kind of disruptive at school. He, you can see, he's kind of pretty smart. He's got little weapons and toys that he's making. He's into magic. He's a little Kevin McAllister. I mean, it seems as though uh, precocious. He's very precocious. Which, Fuck that. Yeah, I don't like precocious. <laughs> it's the worst trait for a child. <laughs> uh, Super Eight. Those kids were driving me insane. Oh, those kids are so fucking precious. I cannot stand Stand by Me because those kids. They, hey, they, hey, they, hey! Let's not say things we can't, can't take back. Um, did you notice the? Uh, I was going to talk about the set a little bit. It takes mostly. It takes place mostly in the house. Did you notice the? Uh, the notice the colors in the house. Uh, yeah, how could you not? It's the most dour fucking environment possible. I was gonna ask you, do you? I don't think there was a filter on this. I think that was no. legit, just the way they painted it. No, I, I think it's just, I think it's just the set design. Yeah, uh, I didn't notice any filters. The lighting is actually fairly reserved for mm-hmm. the most part. It doesn't like, it's not showy like in Insidious. Yeah, like, uh, they don't do any crazy shit with like colored lighting or like funky angles. It's it's pretty. It's pretty straightforward. That was a, that was the two thousands. We had well lit. And that was the thing I hated about two thousands horror movies. It was always so fucking well lit. I blame uh, Scream. Scream was the most brightly like a fucking sitcom. Well, I mean, if you look at the cast of Scream, like, it was a sitcom. Yeah, it was a sitcom. <laughs> I mean, Nev Campbell. Like, yeah, right. It's like Party of Five. Like yeah. it's. Um. So yeah. So they, they the home. I said the home's very dreary. Uh, very very dreary. It's, it's very gray. Um. It's very gray. So she actually works at a nursing home, which uh, we we kind of get hints at. This is like again, this is about mental illness, but mostly depression. Uh, that was interesting that she works at a nursing home, and she's like, "Oh, I have to go to the dementia ward," uh, so she doesn't want a cup of coffee. Well, it would say a cup of uh, Cup no, cuppa. Cuppa. You want a cuppa? That's a colloquialism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of like a uh, another way of saying like. Just lock them up, put it away, keep it out of sight, out of mind. It, we're not going to worry about it. And that's where she works. Um, so you know, notice like the little things like uh, she's stressed out most of the day. She seems like she's just like running on two hours of sleep all the time in this movie. Uh, yeah, something you can relate to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a historically poor sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, about five hours on average. But... Um, not to completely derail you oh, here. I'm but not even I, on the rails, dude. But um, I just wanted to real like roll things all the way back to the first shot. Uh, first shot of this film is extraordinary. 
Um, it's a it's a simulated car crash. Yes. Done, done on yes. the cheap. So I'm I'm imagining they put this woman in a car in someone's garage mm-hmm. and had someone with with a light bulb like running back and forth to simulate like street lamps going over, and then they rotate either the set that she's in or the camera itself to simulate tumbling yeah <clears throat> and then we get some someone got to throw some candy glass in this lady's face <laughs> um it's only like a handful though it's not like a whole like shower it's just like <laughs> yeah it's just like pocket sand yeah we we kind of we kind of established at the beginning that something bad has happened we we find out pretty quick well we see her husband in the darkness yeah. and she makes eye contact with him sitting next to her in this vehicle that it's it's very dreamlike and it is in fact a dream which makes it doubly effective um but basically we get the sense that some man that was important to her was in a car with her and it crashed yeah and the fact that he's not around anymore it very effectively without any without it ever being explicitly stated we figure it out yeah Uh, we're able to piece it together that husband dead boy still here (laughs) um but yeah uh they do this twice in the movie and this is the first time they do it where as soon as the car crashes um she falls away from the camera and into bed and it's probably done via like you know a harness with some fishing line or something but it's it's a really cheap effect but done spectacularly yeah it's done really well and it's it's her waking from a dream and uh to get things back on the rails uh the first half hour of this movie is just this lady getting the shit kicked out of her yeah by life yeah by life not not like in not in the physical sense but like every fucking bad thing that can happen happens to this lady more or less and it's just like uh, uh, uh. she's just getting she's on the on the fucking ground and just getting pounded pounded yeah (laughs) um it's pretty rough man yeah. Like even like even what you said at work, um, the the guy who later on like her coworker, yeah. la- later on he's revealed to be a decent fella, um, but even his like demeanor towards her, he's kind of like giving her a little jab, when this is not the not time, the time. <laughs> and like right before that, right before she goes in the break room, she's talking to one of the residents at this at this old folks home or whatever, and she's trying to give this old lady who you obviously she works with this lady every day yeah and she says like oh i got you your coffee with a little milk in it just how you like it and the old lady's like what and then she has to get up closer and she whispers in her ear like i got your coffee for you with milk in it just how you like it she's like oh i don't want any milk oh and it's like it's just insult to injury and before this she every scene with the boy yeah every fucking scene with the boy and this is the first 15 minutes of the movie this fucking kid yeah this fucking kid he's annoying like he won't go to bed he needs a story read to him and the first thing that tips you off what kind of story we're getting the first thing i noticed was uh when they're in bed together Mm -hmm. and we have that moment where the kid's grinding his teeth and they pump up the levels on it yeah they heath ledger him yeah look at me uh so the kid's like grinding his teeth and it's super fucking loud Mm -hmm. and he's like spooning with the mom basically yeah and he's clasping her from behind and she just has this look just like god yeah just god damn it (laughs) like so mom is not in a good place right now and then like his whole his gadget the 
the oh yeah, yep. he's got like a I thought it was he's a Ghostbusters a, thing at first. It looks like a Ghostbusters proton uh, pack, proton pack, but it is a uh, what do you call it? It's a catapult. It's a catapult. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a catapult that like launches like snooker balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the reasons I think that she uh. uh the one point, the co-worker, uh, who seems to kind of, like, I think he was giving her a jab. I think he's flirting a little bit. I uh, think so. Uh, maybe but not. Just at that moment, it's like, yeah. you're you're coming at her from the wrong angle. Um, one, of the thing, one of the things uh, that is necessary to diagnose somebody with a mental, with some kind of disorder, is function. You have to, whatever is, ca- whatever's causing you to dysfunction, not function properly in society, is how you are... Help diagnose. One of the things you need to be diagnosed uh, with mental disorder, mental illness, is uh, function. And I think that she's probably not been functioning well at work for a while, which is why he says the mean lady, he's like, the mean boss lady's gone at noon, so I'll cover you once, you know, she's not going to be back, so I'll cover you. So I think she already is probably, it's not a great place to work already, but she's also probably shown that she's slipping up here and there. Uh, yeah, we we kind of pieced. That's a little later in the movie. It too. is later. So yeah. like the the business with the kids already kind of escalated by then. But um, I think I'm saying it's already been happening, and we're being introduced to that. There are some dialogue exchanges earlier in the movie uh, with her sister in particular that kind of point to that being the case. Yeah. Like she says, like she reminds us, the audience, that the boy is about seven years old. And apparently her her attitude, her demeanor has been dour like this that whole time. Yeah. So she's like, you you would think you're starting to come out of it by now, um, which would suggest that, you know, for the past seven years, if this is how she is every day, that's not a good way to be. Well, somebody very close to me lost their um, mother at a young age, and she sought um, uh, a counselor for this, a grief counselor. And she mm-hmm. said, like, grief is something that, that stays with you for as long as you live mm-hmm. and you deal with it. And that is, I think the huge theme of the movie. And like you said, she said, you've been dealing with this for seven years and I don't think she's ever sought therapy. I mean, it's pretty clear. I don't that she think hasn't. she has the means or the time. So it's, 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 it's just poisoning her, I guess is the way, the way that we're, the way that we're seeing. Well, I think the, the catalyst for the story really is, is a, it's like a tipping point, I guess. Yeah. And, the tipping point comes in the form of uh, her her son uh, living with her 24-7 as opposed to going to school. Yeah. And we get a sequence. I forget exactly the placement in the, in the movie, but there's a really great sequence where, uh, oh, it's after her friend takes her shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, I'll, I'll cover your shift, go home at lunch. Uh, so basically a half day for, for her. Whoopee. Uh, what does she do with her half day? She eats some ice cream and then she goes home and has to deal with him. Well, but in the meantime, though, we get this lovely montage where she basically goes to the mall, just walks up and down the mall, uh, does some people watching, eats some ice cream in public, and then uh, stares at a couple that's making out in a garage uh, wistfully. Yeah. Uh, she does this a lot in the movie, actually, in the first half. In yeah. the second half, not at all. But in the first half, there's a lot of... There's a lot of really clever lingering shots where uh, we catch mom looking at people who maybe have a better living situation than her, and yeah. she—you can tell there's a sense of longing. Like well, she, even even uh, her neighbor, yeah. even, even Gam Gam, yeah. like she's she's watching her watch TV alone, you know, having a good time, and she has this look like, "Gee, that'd be nice." Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the there's abnormal behavior happening with the kid, and while she's not dealing with her own grief, he is displaying uh, odd behavior because it's his own way of dealing with what like the he doesn't really have grief. His is like loss, like lack of a father, and he brings it up quite a bit. Lack of father, and I mean, we're not privy to how she's been for the past seven years. No, right? we're maybe not. she's had episodes that we haven't seen. I think that she's oh yeah, she's been having episodes. I think she's been kind of out of touch with him you can see she's kind of like out of touch with the reality um several several times in this film yeah and i mean there's a lot of repetition on his end of he he the like one of the first scenes we have with him actually is him saying like when the when the monster comes i'll protect you mm-hmm. um so in his mind it's absolutely assured that a monster will come maybe the babadook isn't the only monster that mom has manifested yeah um you mentioned your theory about this and uh we kind of touch on that this is a a woman director uh, jennifer kent yes and uh you before we started recording mentioned uh the attitude uh, an attitude of a mother towards her child mm. um i was gonna say that there's a little bit of resentment because she gave birth the night that her husband died, so she might harbor some resentment towards the child because, like, you're the reason why this happened. But you have another theory, and yeah, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make a gigantic generalization, but I think it's somehow fitting that this has a female director mm-hmm. um, because the subject matter. Yeah, uh, because, like I said, in the first half hour of this movie, it's pretty explicit that, like, you don't have to be looking for it to see that, you know, maybe mom doesn't love her son all that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is a really difficult feeling to experience, I'd imagine. Yeah. And it's um, not, it's, I'm not going to say it's um, common, but I have heard of that. I have heard people like explicitly say like, yeah, I didn't want to. No, I mean, there, there is certainly such a thing as a child born in, born in a situation where they're not wanted. And it's, you know, you, you don't remove the child from the equation or anything, but you make, you make do. I'm not a I'm not a father, but I would think that uh, something traumatic like losing your husband when you're going into labor uh, and having a child would kind of disconnect you from like like not dealing with that grief would kind of disconnect you from forming a, a good relationship with that child. Well, I mean, think about it. It's like not not only could you in some way point the finger at the child as being responsible, being as they wouldn't have been in that car at that time if not for the child, you know, if not for you know labor or whatever Mm -hmm. um but on top of that the child is a walking talking reminder of that which you lost motherfucker is oliver twist on crack (laughs) and not only that you you lost you lost the person you love most yeah and in return you got a person you don't know at all yeah who is a brand new organism that has no identity it's a it's a blob of goo that turns into a person eventually but for the time being it's like you know, I had someone that meant a lot to me, and you're not replacing them. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're not even a consolation prize. Um, I want to see. If you, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to kind of talk about how, through the middle part of the film, especially, uh, we're avoiding talking about meant like her actual depression. Nobody wants to say it. They kind of hint at it. They want to kind of say something. But you, she keeps brushing everything off, and she never addresses his behavior. She never is like, "I need to go get him help," or "I need to go get help." It's always just she scolds him. She's like, "You're now you're not gonna have a birthday party because you were acting up." Well, 
how did he get expelled from school? So he initially he does a lot of bad shit. Uh, I don't remember what the initial thing was. He did something in class that was dangerous to another student. So they're like, listen. He brought weapons. Yeah, he had weapons <laughs> to school. Brought like legitimate weapons. Yeah, he thinks they're toys. They're legit weapons and they're dangerous. It's, it's a crossbow. Yeah, it's a crossbow. <laughs> Uh, and the mom, instead of being like, hey, like, listen, we don't want to kick your son out. We want to help him. He just needs to go to a different class. And she's like, you know what? I'm pulling him out because um, I'm going to find a school that doesn't want to treat him badly. Like, listen, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying he needs help. And, and instead of doing that, she pulls him. Yeah, that was really interesting, actually, that that would be her reaction, um, especially because you know, she she has these episodes before that point, actually, where you can tell that's like, you know, maybe mom really needs some alone time. <laughs> well, the but nothing's wrong with her, Trevor. That's the thing. There's nothing wrong with her. There's so nothing wrong with him either. There's nothing wrong with him. It's their fault. Yeah. And as I say, I want to talk about like the the seeking treatment part of the film because I think that's a big thing. Okay. Um, but there is one scene I want to talk to you about, uh, a couple scenes. So the cavity from eating junk food, you can we kind of get the sense that she, her diet hasn't been very good and she's not really good at feeding her kid either. We'll learn that a little bit later as she starts to neglect him. Um, but the vibrator scene, what did you think about that? Uh, again, lady director, probably, probably less taboo um, than it would be for a, a male director to slip in there. So uh, because that comes across as kind of fucking genuine. Uh, did you know that uh, vibrators were developed to treat hysteria? Really? Yes. Uh huh. So that's why I wanted to like. There's more. There's more to this film than just not seeking treatment. We actually address uh, a few things. Like one, the vibrator was originally used to treat hysteria, um, manic depressive, bipolar things yeah. that we've you know have established now as being mental illness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she. He cock blocks her. It's so well, bad. But again, at that particular time, it's like mom kind of needed that. Yeah. And she just <laughs> took it right from him. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Like she needed alone time. And then literally, she's almost there, guys and gals. She's almost there. And he just comes in. And I'm like, I've been post coital before. Like the last thing you want is your. Like somebody else, not your partner, touching you. <laughs> Especially, if, I'm assuming probably your kid. You That's the last thing you want. Well, also, it's like it's like one of the only jump scares in the movie. Oh, he, it's he, one of them, He yeah. jumps into the fucking room. Yeah, this is another instance of like the way the movie builds. It builds like a horror movie. Like we get some jump scares. We get stuff at night. Um, she... She mentions, uh, uh, she reads in the Babadook uh, story. She realizes it's pretty creepy. Yeah, um, that, like, that was a good sequence. It was because really before that, I think she reads him a bed, like a bedtime story, like twice up to that point, and then she tells him, "Go grab a book off the shelf." Yeah, and he comes back with this like red book that's called the Babadook, and she, the way she looks at it, she doesn't seem to recognize, recognize it. it. Yeah, um, which is where I started to spin a theory um, that. I think turned out to be wrong um, that uh, that mom had crafted this book, that mom wrote the Babadook and manufactured the whole thing, um, because I, I suspected that from from the moment the book was introduced, um, based on how she, how we'd seen her relating to her son. Like clearly, there's a lot of like venom there. There's a lot of resentment, um, but. Later on in the film, she does mention offhand that she was a writer, um, 
which got me thinking, huh, maybe I'm onto something here. Well, it's interesting. Journaling is actually a very big part of cognitive therapy. Um, and I actually do it myself. Uh, if I'm going to, if I'm about to do something very stressful and I need my mind to be clear, it's good to just write down like what you're stressed out about. Do it before tests and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking is yeah. that like I pieced it together. The Babadook is probably an outlet of some sort. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't sure how explicit they're going to make that like if it was actually going to manifest physically or, or how we're going to go about doing that but obviously we'll get to that later um but yeah she reads him the story and i like the progression how uh, like the music kind of ramps up and she's reading the story and it's a creepy story it's creepy yeah and the man uh the fellow i don't remember the name of the designer but they're listed in the credits um the person who crafted the actual physical prop Kudos to them. Yeah. It's a great fucking design. It's a pop-up book. Uh, it's monochrome, uh, vaguely Tim Burton-esque. It's wonderful. Um, but yeah, the, the boy starts freaking the fuck out. And at some point, she just kind of like slaps the book shut and is like, nah, we're not reading that. Yeah, and right. I love that like, the follow-up is her just like hurriedly reading like a friendly kid's book as well, he's like crying and Screaming, yeah. He's scared. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you can't take it back, Mom. He already got the gist. <laughs> so he, uh, at one point, he brings up the Baba Duke to somebody. She's like, "No, Baba Duke, we don't, we don't discuss the Baba Duke." Um, and I took that as we don't talk about what happens at home. We don't talk about our problems. That we that's let's let's keep let's keep that between us. Yeah. Um, she's obviously doing it uh, in the story because it's not like it doesn't look good for her if this kid was scared shitless of this book and yeah um there's some more um a sort of odd behavior that she exhibits with uh the kid um they're eating porridge at one point and there's glass, glass. yeah and he's like the babadook and i remember in the sixth sense when tony collette um was like why did you take that thing out of my room he's like i i didn't it was it was grandma and she's like you know what you've had enough go to your room like mm. she's like this this is this is a moment where she could try to address the behavior with the child and she almost she looks like she's about to and then she just doesn't she just like i gotta make something else so instead of addressing this um very dangerous behavior that her child is clearly exhibiting mm-hmm. um she just chooses to ignore it and i'm like it's only gonna make things worse and his behavior does get worse and her behavior obviously gets much worse um, but the, the thing with the picture, uh, she finds a picture on her bed of her husband's face all scratched out, blames it on the Babadook. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there are a handful of episodes like that, that, um, it needs to be said too, that the, the Babadook, the, the book, uh, is basically a prophecy. Yeah. Like, like all the imagery that we see in the book does occur at some point, um, right up to the, uh, the hinting that you don't want to see what's underneath the Babadook's hat. And in fact, you never do actually see uh, what's under his hat. I love, uh, I love in ho- how horror movies build dread by showing us nighttime. Like we we spend some time during the day and then we get like that sun setting or we get that shot of outside and then we see the dark house and then we go inside the dark house. Um, Hereditary does it so well. <laughs> Cause there, there's, I remember one specific scene where I'm like, I'm like putting my hoodie on, covering my neck. I'm like, fuck, it's nighttime again. Um, not so much here, though I get that same dread. It builds, it builds a little differently in that film. Um, but we do it like quick. Like we just nice shot of trees outside the house, inside. And like now we're back to horror movie. Like we're away from drama. Drama's daytime, horror's in the evening. Um, well, but, uh, one, one thing I wanted to throw out there is that uh, the, 
the first half of this movie reminded me a lot of the exorcist in some ways yeah i can see that um because we we take a more scientific view of of what's what's happening like for instance when she takes him to the doctor Mm -hmm. and uh he prescribes the sleeping pills yeah um and the whole time like his demeanor kind of suggests that like he's sizing up mom yeah like he just examined the boy but the whole time he's like mom doesn't look so good either yeah and then like there's the what the child protective services people or whatever they show up and and they see the house all fucked (laughs) but it it felt like it reminded me of the exorcist in the sense that there's that really creepy montage early on in that movie where you get to see the reagan girl uh like going through like an mri and stuff yeah like, like a whole battery of tests because they don't fucking know what's wrong with her um and there was a little bit of that vibe going on where it's like again that this theory that you're you're put well it's not even a theory it, it's explicit <laughs> uh, this concept of like repression yeah um it's it plays into like a huge chunk of how the how the film plays out say the, the um she's not directly harming the kid but her behavior and her relationship with him is causing him this these things to happen is what we're basically getting at and the doctor's piecing that together he's just like okay yeah he had like a, a seizure um are you doing okay because you look like you haven't slept in a week <laughs> pretty much and and what's really interesting though is that she's continually feeding the boy pills she never takes them herself she, when when the one thing that she seems to need the most is sleep she does take them at one she does take a pill at one point at one point at the very first night she i actually have it written down there's a really uh, a really chilling uh kind of smile she does here um she gives the boy the pill and then when he swallows it she gives like a uh she gives like a little smirk and it's like half like Yes, he's. This is finally going to work. But also, there's like something sinister behind it. Like, yes, he's going to go to sleep, but also I get to go to sleep now. Yeah, that's the second time we get that shot of her, f- like falling into bed. Yeah, and she wakes up at like 11 a.m. the next day, mm-hmm. and it's like you can tell that's like a godsend at that point. <laughs> um, I can't remember where we get the uh, when we actually see the Baba Duke. It takes a while. It takes uh, a very long time. Very long time. Um, but there's some, there's some other things, uh, like, like avoiding therapy. One of the, one of the scenes I found was interesting and you actually mentioned the, the officer, um, the, <laughs> yeah. when she goes to the police station and she had just burned the book. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll probably come back to that. Cause I think that's when the Duke actually, we actually see him. Um, she goes that's, to the police. That's actually immediately after she wakes up. Oh, okay. Uh, she wakes up and it, everything's very ethereal. Mm-hmm. Like, like the lighting is like a little bit turned up. Um, the boy isn't around for some reason, and then she goes out onto the porch, if I remember right, and, yeah. and she opens the door, and I think she ends up even closing it and reopening it, because there's a noise, like a knock, mm-hmm. and then the, the book is on the porch, and it's been stitched together, because she actually tore it apart before that, um, and then, yeah, she burns it after she goes to the police, no, before she goes to the police, which doesn't exactly bode well for building a case against anyone um yeah i think the the use of medication like yeah she got it for the kid but she takes it and it kind of i mean she does get sleep finally that first night seems to go pretty well yeah but it's this isn't what she needs she's just kind of it's just kind of like like on a back burner just hazy where it's not even really affecting her 
and she's actually having a pretty decent day. But yeah, but then <laughs> then the book then the book comes up and it's got more stuff in it this time. Yeah. Um, but she, I I wanted to go back real quick before we go to the police station. Um, where the friend where she's over there with her sister and her friends at the birthday party. We have the <laughs> the big old mess up in there. Aye, aye, aye. Um, the friends like she, you can tell that her sister's not support like very supportive, or she's tried to be supportive in the past, and she. I think it, she's it, at the end of her rope. Yeah. Um, but the friends are like kind of like, oh, well, you know, you should start writing again. I've heard that this other lady who's lost her husband, like they're trying to chime in on what they think she should do, mm-hmm. um, which is ve- which would be very frustrating, especially from her point of view. Like, that's, nothing's wrong with me. They do some really clever stuff here, like um, just from a like a filmmaking standpoint, like cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on one side of the room. Sitting there, down. Yeah, she's sitting down. Everyone else is standing and like... They're situated on opposite sides of the room, so every time we do a shot, reverse shot, it looks like a wall of people are talking to this diminutive older woman. Yeah. And not only that, older woman. Like, everyone else in the room looks considerably younger and more vibrant. There's some foxes in there. There there are some (laughs) fine ladies in that room. Uh, The one that gets all the dialogue. Yeah, (laughs) yes. She was... I noticed her, yes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, from her standpoint, it's understandable that she, you know, would take that as like them demeaning her in some way where it's like they're looking down their nose at her but it's like actually if you break down what was said it's it's all in like there's nothing but good intent there it's just you know their perspective is so radically different that they can't relate to her um the babadook's ability to uh do things in the house the armoire falling over uh did you notice when the kid's being thrown around Yes, I noticed when the kid was being thrown around because it was hilarious. I think that she's doing it. I think that the the reason why this kid is scared as the movie goes along, he's afraid to be in the same room as her. Uh, I think that she's the one doing these things. And she's not, it's not... um, That was my theory from the mm get-go. Is that, like, I kind of assumed that the Babadook... I I kind of figured that the Babadook actually wasn't going to factor into the story mm. i thought the babadook was going to be purely imaginary and this was going to be a story of a mom freaking out and doing some bad stuff to her son yeah um so like my my theory and i'll go ahead and lay it out was that mom was mom was writing the book and was kind of like creating a prophecy for herself and maybe manifested like a, a id self like a dark like her dark side was manifesting when she was sleep deprived mm-hmm. and unaware of her actions and the reason why the boy was so cagey with her is, and the reason why the boy is always yelling about like this invisible monster that's in the room, is because mom apparently just flips the fuck out every so often and isn't even aware of it. Um, obviously, that didn't happen in the movie, but that I, was my theory. I think you're right, though. I think it's not explicitly told. We're not explicitly stated like she's the Babadook. She is this behavior. And I, but I think that's what exactly what it is. is well, that... I mean, yeah. By the by, the time you get to the end of the movie, yes, the Babadook is for sure like her repressed feelings. Yeah. Um, but some of the things that happened in the interim, uh, like you know, stuff falling down and like the house getting trashed and stuff like that. I don't know how much of that actually happened or how much of it's imagined or like a shared delusion between her and the boy. I think it's her. I think it's her doing these things. Well, yeah, actually, as I'm, as I'm talking, like I'm working this out as yeah. I'm talking, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, the finale, when she yells at the Babadook to get like, don't ever fucking touch my son again. Um, there's that sequence where the walls are cracking. Mm-hmm. 
If I recall, the walls are not cracked after all the madness settles down. I don't think so, no. So maybe the Babadook was imagined. Like, I, maybe the Babadook isn't real at all. Maybe I am right. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think it is real at all. Because, I mean, the, the kid is screaming up and down about monsters even before the Babadook is introduced. It's not until she reads in the story that it has a name. Um, but even before that, he's always talking about protecting her from monsters and he already has weapons and he's into magic and shit um she when you we mentioned the book having more stuff in it and it's like explicitly stating that she's gonna kill the dog she's gonna kill her son she's gonna kill herself yeah and this is um this is like having thoughts of harming yourself or others and which is straight from the dsm <laughs> like it's it's literally it's literally part of diagnosis are you any thoughts about harming yourself or others well yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's just another way to kind of telephone. Hey, this is about mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, alternate title. <laughs> um, but she's she's refused help from her sister. Like she's actually like it's the, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. The kid kicking her out, kicking her daughter yeah, out of her. Uh, that little bitch had it coming. I'm she sorry. She did. She was a little shit. <laughs> oh, kids are the worst. Kids are bad. Oh, they they so bad. find that weak spot. They find that sore spot, and they just poke at it with a stick. Um, this... um, yeah, the the birthday girl. Uh, oh, who by the way, um, apparently for the past what six years, uh, uh, mom's sister's daughter uh, and the boy have yeah. shared birthdays. They were... because because uh, mom and the boy, mostly mom, uh, were uncomfortable with celebrating his birthday because that happened to be the same day her husband died. Yeah, uh, so they. They just kind of merged birthdays to make it easy for for everyone, I guess. But this is the first year that they're not doing that because the the girl, uh, the birthday girl, she doesn't want to share her birthday anymore. Shocker. Um, so that's one one more problem to pile onto the the heaping mountain we have. Uh, but yeah, the birthday, uh, she basically teases the boy for like nobody likes you. You have no dad. Yeah. Okay, that hurts a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he shoves her and she falls out the tree for it under her fucking face yeah she had it coming uh, <laughs> breaks her nose in two places as he says yeah good job uh, <laughs> so yeah now we've pretty much just messed up this relationship with the sister um oh yeah she's inaccessible yeah like you can get her on the phone if she calls you but that's it yeah um the police station scene it's very very quick but i, re- I really really liked it uh you mentioned that this cop is ugly as fuck he is hideous <laughs> he looks like ted Raimi plus 100 pounds and like his his skin tone yeah. he's got ruddy complexion and it's like gray yeah he's, uh, he's not a handsome man i said he looks like he'd be from a rob zombie film he actually looks like the the critic from uh devil's rejects remember the guy that comes in about groucho Marx? oh God, yeah fuck. sequence is so fucking stupid um but uh officer dragula <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure your knowledge of bullshit is limitless uh i do like that line um but uh when we go to the police station she comes in disheveled uh, her hands are kind of dirty and she's burnt the book and she gets the phone call from the babadook and she goes to the police station she's like listen this guy's um stalking us i'm, I'm gonna report a stalker and he's like okay well how do you know he's stalking you well he sent us a book and it was violent, and it was suggesting that harm is going to happen to us. He's like, well, where's the book? She's like, well, I burnt it. And he also left a threatening call. And the cops just like, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and he kinda, she kind of sees um, 
the, we've seen the Babadook at this point, but uh, she kind of sees in the background. It looks like his long gloves and hat and jacket, but it's like hanging up. And she kind of gets a little freaked out, and the cop kind of looks at her. He's like, you look a little disheveled. Like, yeah, he notices her hands just as she's backing away from the counter and heads out. I think this is a really significant scene um, as far as the uh, like addressing depression is seeking... She's trying to find help. She doesn't know exactly what for. She doesn't realize what it's for, but she's trying to find it, and she doesn't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, the cop is... He's like, well, I can't really help you, which I think could mean two things. One, you can seek treatment... But you might not go to the best source. Like you need, like if you need someone who's a psychiatrist who's going to prescribe you medication and cognitive therapy to work through the issues, that's good. If you go to just like a counselor for something like this, you might not get any help. Yeah. But also, people might not understand what you're going through, or you might feel judged, so you don't really explain what's really wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't know what she thought about that scene. I just thought it was a really significant scene. No, it's it's interesting that you point that out because you're you're right. Uh, this this character, mom, she's she's not very good about reaching out. No. and I think the the set design does a lot to communicate that as well, because almost every scene we have in the second half of this film is her at home yeah. with the boy, and yet the house does not seem to be getting better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. There's actually a really, when the, the community services come in, there's something really neat that they did here. Um, so yeah, the neighbor, the at this point she talks to the neighbor lady. Uh, she's so sweet. She's just the sweetest. Yeah, gam gam. She's so sweet. She um, she comes up and the boy's like, she has Parkinson's. He's like, you don't have to fucking say that. And she's like, no, 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 it's totally fine. I was talking to him about it. We were having a healthy conversation about a neurodegenerative, like about a... <laughs> trying to tell you something, a mom. De- a degenerative <laughs> disease that I have. And like, it's in... Do you have any diseases you'd like to talk about, mom? <laughs> well, it, it's just so nice because like the she like the director's putting it right there. It's like, this is healthy. We're discussing something that is... That can't be helped. That's something that's happened to me. Molly, 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 molly. Mole. Mole. Goodbye, mole. It <laughs> might be the funniest part of all three of those movies is that. I remember watching that with my mom and my brother, and we were like nearly peeing our pants laughing. It was uh, so fucking funny. It's, it's just amazing that it's a repeat joke, because so the, the eye joke in Wayne World 2... <laughs> Cross the T's and dot the lowercase J's. <laughs> it's it's a repeat joke, but it still fucking works. Mike Myers, I think, was a comedic um, half genius, where a comedic genius would still be making really funny movies, but he did have just a few moments of just like, my God, that is beautiful. Like, it's perfect. No, his, his moment... Shown quite brightly. I don't have a gun. Let alone I say mini that gun. every fucking day. Every day. Let alone an, uh, 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 mini guns to necessitate an entire rack. I find a way to work that one into every fucking day. A gun. <laughs> you don't even have to have seen a movie. It may, it may be the best comedy of all time. I don't know. Um... So yeah, when the uh, the mom kind of snaps at her at the neighbor lady after she mentions like yeah. discussing Parkinson's with the boy, which is really unfortunate because she's so sweet and definitely doesn't deserve that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hinting at like, hey, maybe you should talk about what's wrong with you. Yeah, like you said. 
Um, but then the community, the, the Department of Community Services comes in when she's cleaning the kitchen. So now we're at a point where she's hallucinating. Um, she's hallucin- like she's seeing bugs all over the place. Yeah, but you- roaches. But I th- did you notice how many dishes had piled up at this point? It had the, the kitchen table. Yeah. It was just packed with like condiments and bowls. Yeah. And in the sink, it was completely packed. At one point, she breaks some dishes in the sink. But yeah, before she even notices the roaches, I noticed that the kitchen table was just a mess. Yeah. It was just filth everywhere. And holy fuck, um, the roaches kind of poked at me a little bit because I actually had like a couple instances in my life in recent days where I. My apartment in the summer uh, gets ants every once in a while. Mm. And there are certain days where it's like I get really stressed the fuck out or something. And I have kill this, the fuck out of them. I kill the fuck out of them. <laughs> but I have this like nagging feeling that's like these ants better be fucking real. Oh, like, really? These better not be imaginary ants or some shit. Well, lack of sleep, I can definitely see you being like, fuck, they're, I'm not trying But it's like, like, to me, that's actually like that imagery that kind of speaks to me where it's like, yeah, that's. That's a genuine fear of mine. That's like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going nuts. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of took the. It's kind of part hallucination, but also she's let the kitchen go, which is going to bring in more bugs. Which you got to keep, you know, you got to keep diligent on the dishes. It sucks. It's one of the worst things about being alive is having to deal with dishes. Yeah. I hate dishes. Well, maintenance in general. Is Jesus. Like, maintenance in general is like the bane of existence. Like. Uh, all existence. The first thing I'm going to do once I start making enough money to afford it, I'm hiring a housekeeper. That's I'm like, just I just need you to do the dishes and sweep. That's all I need. I will pay you more than enough money just to come. <laughs> it's going to take 20 minutes of your day, and I will pay you handsomely to do that because I hate it that much. <laughs> made, made fund. That's what I'm saving up for. Housekeeper fund. Um, I, I also kind of took it like the, the roaches came in because of all the dishes, but this is also very common in people who are suffering from depression. You get listless, a um, little, little lazy, not wanting to take well, care again, of yourself. Functioning. She's, as... she's been doing nothing but staying home because at one point she has a phone call yeah. where they are they're taking her shifts away because she's been neglecting her duties and been calling in sick too often. If she's doing nothing but staying home, she's getting even less done <laughs> so this is when the movie starts to ramp up but this yeah. is also the moment if i was doing this analysis for a film class this is the point where i actually had a, a dual horror movie slash um abnormal psychology class where we wrote about like how uh how accurately movies were depicting mental illness um but this would be the moment where i'm like this is where there would be a diagnosis very loose very broad like this yeah, is where because yeah. now she's actually not functioning mm-hmm. at all yeah yeah, the Department of Community Services comes up. Um, the kid's been out of school long enough that now they have to come find out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, of course, she doesn't answer the door in her best condition. Uh, she's all, her hair's all messy and she's manic. She's She's been cleaning. She was freaked out. She did, like, a, a whole freak out clean of the kitchen. Um, bad time for them to come. Uh, there's this one shot where they come in and the boy is sitting on the couch and you can see them standing in the in the room and even like on a sunny day i think that the the interior of the house the color is supposed to represent her mood mm. so while they're inside you get a really good shot of the living room and you can see all the dark grays and the like the black trim on the stairs uh, i just i really like that shot i thought it was really neat that she put it in there yeah no i i like that scene in general it's because really because there's not a whole lot of dialogue uh, they come in and just based on the way they're moving their eyes and the way they're shooting each other the high sign the two agents it's mm-hmm. a man and a woman 
uh, the woman asks for a glass of water very strategically. Yeah. It's like, I need an excuse to get deeper into the house. Yeah. Um, so they follow mom just not quite into the kitchen, but just enough that they can see what the fuck is going on. And then the boy... There's red flags, but... Oh, my the... God, the boy. Yeah. <laughs> the boy's like, oh, I'm really sleepy. <laughs> and they're like, why are you sleepy? <laughs> I'm tired from the drugs mom gave me, which yeah. if you're... If you work in this in this business, if business, if you work in, uh, as a part of this department, that is like ding 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 ding. I mean, you thought Mrs. Doubtfire was bad. This, oh. is, this is a this is several degrees worse, especially when the the last piece of dialogue spoken in this scene is, I think, the boy saying, "Mom, I think I'm going to vomit." Yeah, I think I'm going to vomit. I don't know why they didn't take the kid immediately. That that's what was shocking to me. Um, I guess they don't have enough. I like they don't have they, enough. The guy like makes it known we're obligated to come back in a week. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, shape up. <laughs> I'm sorry if I if I walked in that. I feel like that's great. Maybe it's different in Australia, but I think in the United States, if, if somebody walks into that, like we have this mom who's manic. Apparently, she's drugging the kid so much so that he's gonna vomit. Like we're gonna take him, then we're gonna look into things well, further. Not only that, she she like implicates herself because she's like. She talks about how, oh, I'm sorry, the house is a mess. I just found a roach infestation. They came in through this hole in the wall that isn't there. That is not there. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Mom, I have to vomit. Fuck, not now. No. <laughs> so I think we get to the Babadook stop motion, which I I didn't, I don't know if I told you there was stop motion in this film. You did not. Mm. But it was welcome. Uh, it's only... A handful of shots, yeah, like two or three shots, yeah. um, totaling two or three seconds of screen time, um, and that's basically the entirety of his presence in the film. To be honest, I love it. I love the way it it doesn't change the tone. That's what I was worried about watching this movie the first time. Is that when I heard about it, I'm like, this like I saw the preview for it. I'm like, this just looks kind of dumb. Like the name is dumb. It seems like just like an off, like oh, it's a horror movie. It's a stupid. Uh, foreign horror movie it's not very good <laughs> but i i love i don't know there's just something eerie but also fun at the same time about the stop motion of the, the baba duke well i mean we're gonna have to stay on the subject for a minute here yeah. um sound is something i really wanted to talk about mm -hmm. um excellent yeah. uh, except, did you, except for a couple of things <laughs> did you did you go with my uh lights off headphones no on? unfortunately oh. i had to watch it in in the room that we're watching it in right now gotcha. on the device that we're using to record right now, which okay. is a tablet. Gotcha. <laughs> Not the best way to watch a horror movie, but uh, you didn't give me much time to work with. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it was kind of a... I had to get it going this week. I enjoyed it anyway. Um, but also having a fluffy dog in your lap the whole time isn't probably not the best way to watch a scary movie. No. Um, that's, that's but the design out. of the Babadook, um, it looks better in the storybook. Mm -hmm. Um but they do a good job of hiding it in shadows. So it's only like front and center in the, like in the frame for exactly like one second. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those situations where it flashes by so fast that you, you really just have your imagination to put together, which is how you're supposed to do it, especially on a $2 million budget. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be said, I, I do like the look of the, the storybook better the pop-up book i like the way it's rendered in the drawings better than what we got in you know live action um but yeah the stop motion effect is 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 jarring in the good way mm -hmm. where uh, the babadook is often accompanied by the sound of like insects chittering or skittering yeah 
um, which plays into mom's delusion with the roaches pretty well. Um, and we get to see him like skitter across the ceiling. And then there's just like one shot where he just kind of like, like jerks into the frame and comes up into your face for just a fraction of a second. Yeah. And he has his weird grinning face and his top hat and his Edward Scissorhands hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of reminded me of, this is a name I've dropped a few times before. Um, in fact, I lent you one of his manga, uh, Junji Ito. Mm. Um, kind of reminded me of some of his renderings. Interesting. Uh, he, there's a thing in Japanese horror, and I have no idea if it's, if it's tradition or where it comes from, actually. I actually should do some research on it. But um, a, a human smile with like evil intent, like with a malevolent smile. Yeah, can like be, the Cheshire Cat. Can be the most terrifying thing. Yeah. Um, and the Babadook definitely has a bit of that. Where he, he doesn't... He doesn't ever look monstrous when we see him. He he looks pretty self-satisfied, but yeah. you can tell based on his posture and the way he moves about that's like yeah, he he's got he's got nothing good in mind for me. <laughs> no. But yeah, sound uh like like I had mentioned earlier uh, about uh the boy grinding his teeth. Uh the first few minutes of this movie are mostly rendered like the soundscape does more to render anything than than the visuals do and the visuals are very good yeah which says a lot to the quality of the sound design but there is exactly one no two moments in this movie that have laughable sound design what were they um when the babadook possesses mom yeah um it makes a sound effect um that it's even mentioned in the trivia um i always thought of it as the uh the sound effect that the zombie dogs from resident evil made in the opening cutscene, oh, I'm not. Familiar. Apparently, like the trivia for the movie says, it's from Warcraft. It's the uh-huh. sound that the dragons make when you click on them. Um, to me, though, it's the it is the exact same sound. I know for a fact it's the exact same sound, but I remember it from the first Resident Evil game in the opening cutscene with the zombie puppet dog is chasing you, um, and then during the climax when the Babadook is hulking out and you know threatening to tear the house apart and stuff. Uh, it makes a sound effect. I'm pretty sure it's from Doom. Oh. <laughs> well, it's like, uh, okay, we're doing 90s computer game sound effects amidst our, our wonderful Foley sound that, you know, was lovely and wonderful. It's like, okay, we're taking the cheap route. Yeah, so... Just half expecting some, like, golden eye shooting sounds or something. I, I was really disappointed not to see more stop motion. I was looking for a particular scene, which I told you before, and I actually tried to find, only to figure out that it was in another movie that I watched that came out roughly around the same time, probably the same year as The Conjuring 2. Oh. Um, there's a... Uh, the the skinny guy, skinny man, or whatever he's the, whatever the creature's called, but there's a really cool stop motion crooked man, crooked thing. man. Well, yes, that, you you actually showed me the clip, and it's really bitching. Yeah, uh, you made me want to see that movie, even though you said it's not that good. It's not that good, but <laughs> I'm sure there are definitely things that if you if I was to revisit it, I would appreciate, and I'm sure that you could you know appreciate. You like uh, you haven't seen the first, you haven't seen the original Conjuring, but you should do a you should do a double feature, just work through those. Well, yeah, I mean the. It's funny because like some like a lot of the choices you've made for Kyle's Killer October are very different from. I mean, the, sh- the name of the show is catching up on cinema. Yeah. Um, I tend to lean towards monster movies mm. when it comes to my horror my horror viewing. I really love the genre of horror, uh, but I don't actually watch that many of them. Mm. 
Um, but the, the things that I usually shell out the cash for tend to be movies about like monsters and stuff. Uh, not so much, much like ghosts and like paranormal or supernatural type shit. Uh, so the Babadook and Insidious, like two in a row, it's like, okay, this is way off the beaten path for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait till we get to next week. Uh, next week is going to be uncomfortable for the both of us. Cause... Oh, did you decide? Yeah, we're going to do Sinister next week. Okay. I, I mean, you talked it up uh, last episode uh, when we were talking about Insidious. You you made it sound like the better film. Um. Yes, I I think not better film. I think uh, it has more dread to it. It has a bit more of a horror, like a scary horror to it. I'll explain more later uh, once we. Well, I think that's interesting because if memory serves, I think it came out roughly square in the middle between these two movies it came out in 2014 i believe i remember Same wa- year, i remember watching it at my house in seattle uh by myself and i had to turn it off halfway because it was getting too creepy Damn. um but <laughs> it's not creepy how you would it's creepy like seven is creepy not like how the exorcist is creepy different again very different from what i normally go for mm, i tend to go for the the gory gooey <laughs> so so this will be interesting especially since uh I don't know. Ethan Hawke has made some interesting choices in the past ten years. He's been doing some some unconventional things. He he had a stretch where he was doing a lot of westerns, but on top of that, he was doing a lot of funky horror movies, a lot of indie horror movies. Like I think he was in the first. Uh, uh, it's not. It's the Frank Grillo series, The Purge. He was in the first Purge. Yeah, which I actually not the movie, The First Purge, The, the Purge. <laughs> I actually, I actually liked that first Purge movie. It was pretty good. I haven't uh, watched a single one of the ones afterwards. I've heard they get better. Really? I I need to sit down and watch Man, those movies. That first Purge is great. Uh, I was trying to get. I was thinking the Strangers. You've seen the Strangers though. Yeah. I was gonna say the Strangers would have been my other choice for this month. No, they get better because they they expand it. Because you know the first Purge. The movie, the first, because there's a movie called The First Purge. Yeah. The actual, <laughs> the, the actual purge. film, The Purge, um, is a bottle drama, basically. Yeah. It takes place inside a house during The Purge, whereas the second one is apparently Frank Grillo as The Punisher during The Purge. So he's Ooh. using The Purge to seek someone out. Is he actually The Punisher? No. Oh, but okay. It basically. But gotcha, I gotcha. And then I guess this third one, it's the same main character. And interesting. And then they just keep making the story bigger and bigger, and apparently it's it, they're all good. No like kidding. I, as far as I know, there's no bad purge movie. That's not supposed to happen. Although I heard that TV show was probably not that great. Probably not. But you and I, I don't know if we're going to do episodes on it, but I think we both have enough interest that we probably owe it to ourselves to watch the purge movies. The purge. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe that could be a catching up on where we both actually have to the purging. The purging. <laughs> Catching up on the purge. Uh, anyway, back in yeah. Australia. So yeah, this is the point where we've we're, the diagnosis is setting in, and we are clinically depressed. I would say because uh, <laughs> uh, this is when the the, the taking Bob- that corner to sad town. The Babadook has now now is like in her is like possessed her more or less. But this is it's, you can think of it as possession or manifesting like it's actually coming out. Um, she has, again, there's this thing with the cavity where she keeps rubbing her cheek, rubbing her jaw. She has a cavity. You see her eating junk food. She's doing it again. And uh, she ends up just sleeping, like staying up through the whole night at one point. Uh, do you know what movie she was watching at uh, when she does this? I was having trouble... Well, I, no, I don't. I but I was, I was having trouble because uh, it looked like some of it was 
made specifically for the movie and then it was like mixed yeah. with with pre-existing footage. So that I like that the the footage that they made up for the movie. Yeah. I really like that it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean uh, it looks genuine. It does look genuine. It looks like something Rob Zombie would do where he has like is this a real old horror movie or is this something he filmed and put in here? Yeah. I, I get what you yeah, mean. Yeah, very much. So. But the one after that with the creepy the creepy face is Black Sabbath. Boris Karloff gotcha. uh, in Black Sabbath. Uh, it's a oh anthology. It's a horror anthology. And that first one's pretty decent, and they go off. The other two were awful. Um, sorry, Boris Karloff fans out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's Black Sabbath. I got super excited because I bought it off the... Was it, uh, you sent me the link for it. You're like, oh, this this thing is having a sale. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was okay. like a hammer yeah. un- or universal sale at like Barnes & Noble or some shit. Yeah, I, I got it off there for like seven bucks. So. Nice! Um, so this is... Cool. She um, she's like stayed up through the whole night, and the boy's hungry, and she's she snaps at him like she's trying to go to sleep, and he's like, "I'm hungry." She's like, "Why are you always talking?" Like now it's getting bad, and I think we're kind of seeing how she was acting before just a little bit. Like I said, he only starts like from the moment we're introduced to this kid. He's adamant. Yeah. He's absolutely certain that the, that a monster is coming for him and his mom. Um, yeah. So I would not be surprised if, like, outside of the movie, like, outside of the story presented to us, maybe mom flipped out beforehand. She gives him a good ear lashing. Like, she, she snaps him pretty good. But then she takes him out to get food. And did you notice this scene in the, uh, in the diner? Uh, they're sitting next to a booth with a bunch of screaming kids. It's like... No matter where she goes, she can't escape the dissonance. Like, it's always there. Yeah. And she's still, like, kind of, like, like, um, she's, she's with it, but she's, like, almost ignoring it, but it's still there. I thought that was a really, a nice little no, touch. That was a, kind of a chilling sequence, because, like, she does the, she does the thing where she's intensely apologetic immediately after tearing her son's heart out yeah. verbally. <laughs> like, it's bad. Like, she explodes on him it's not good it's bad and and it needs to be said that's like one of the hardest things in in drama i think to to bear Mm -hmm. like i'm fine with violence you can do whatever fucked up shit you want i'll I'll probably find a way to be entertained but um children being verbally abused verbally abused Mm -hmm. like like violence you know i think it's easier to take yourself out of it when it's violence but when it's like verbal abuse it's hard because you've experienced something if not exactly but something you can we've, relate you know, to we've, yeah we've all been there and yeah. it's it's always really hard and, and in this sequence it was rough yeah like some of the things she says to this boy it's like woof you can't take that back although i guess you gotta try and she does and she like tries to overcompensate and she's like yeah i'll take you to wally's or whatever it's basically Chuck E. cheese i guess yeah. um but yeah, the, the booth next to them is like a circus. It's like a birthday party or some shit. And just the look on her face suggests it's like, mom's not here right now. And the boy is just kind of like eating what's in front of him. But there's no joy at this table. No. And she's now she's neglecting to feed her kid. He's still she's like, mom, I f- still feel sick from that medicine, and I'm hungry because you haven't fed me. Yeah. Um, we get the hit and run. <laughs> she ends up, uh, the Babadook, she, like, she thinks the Babadook is there and she ends up running into, head on with another car. Uh, she just drives off. No consequences. Um, the sweet little neighbor lady's like, hi, sweetie. And just, just fucking cold shoulder, just doesn't even acknowledge her. 
Um, and then she really starts snapping at home. Uh, starts getting even more vicious with the kid. Um, this is where I wrote down, like, Essie Davis is incredible. Um, <laughs> she does such a good job. Like, she seems like she has the kind of eyes where uh, she seems very, like, she looks very sweet and normal. But then when she switches it, they're crazy eyes. And it's really, really creepy. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a very complete performance. Um, I use that term when, when somebody brings every element to the table. It's like she brought her voice. The physicality is there for sure, mm-hmm. and and those those eyes, and not only that, the the costuming and like her hair, like you said, like it's it's a top to bottom, like very yeah. very well thought out production, and yeah, she fucking brings it. When uh, the Baba Duke is like attacking her at one point, I, that's when it got me. It when, when she's she, moaning, like she's, she's wailing, like it's. It's like Tony Collette and Hereditary. It's like holy shit! It gave me chills. I'm like, oh yeah, damn. no, that that's a sound that uh, not many people ever get to hear. I guess <laughs> like that's that's like primal fear kind of. Yeah, it's it's chilling. Yeah, um, I have written. She, she get her and Fassbender to to have a scream off or something. <laughs> Could you imagine those two in a movie together? Or even Tony well, Collette? What was funny was like I was imagining her and Tony Collette in the same movie together. <laughs> I would like to see Fassbender in like uh, a, a, like like a bad guy role but where he has to yell. Like where he has to actually scream and get worked up. I don't think up. he's ever done that. It would be fucking terrifying. I mean I've seen him as a bad guy for sure. He definitely has the eyes for it. He can be a good guy. Like he's a really good guy in Inglorious Bastards. He's very likable in there too. But he can also be very creepy as either a human or an android. Uh, I want to see him do, like, scary. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if I've seen that, but I've, have you seen Haywire? No, I've not. I put that on the list on, in our uh, our block of movies, uh, like, lady action movies. Oh, really? It's Gina Carano. The two of them have a fucking throwdown. Oh, really? <laughs> he gets mollywopped. Mollywopped? <laughs> <laughs> And Ewan McGregor, he oh, he gets a he gets way worse. Oh man! But yeah, a lot of a lot of dudes get punched in that movie, and it's pretty tasty. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard you can't say that to a child, so I don't remember what the context was. But she's definitely giving it to him again. She's getting more and more aggressive, and she pulls out a knife at one point. Yeah, and she keeps what What's interesting about the the flow of the story is a uh, let's I guess we can get into climax territory here. Mm-hmm. Um. So the way the climax kind of kicks off is uh, mom is freaking out and the Babadook kind of manifests and like we said, uh, she collapses on the floor in a heap and is just wailing. And then the Babadook like rears over her and we don't see what happens. This is this is where we get the uh, the Warcraft dragon sound um, oh. and then like it cut to black. But it's like based on the sound mixing here, it's heavily implied that the Babadook enters her. Yeah. And from this moment forth, mom is a little unhinged. Yeah. Um, and this is where she starts screaming at the boy and stuff, and she starts wielding a knife. Um, but she's still kind of like wavering back and forth. Yeah. Um, she has these, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them like moments of clarity or lucidity, but she definitely is like, there's a conflict going on where it's like she's not on a one track. She doesn't have like a one track mind of being vicious or destructive. She's still kind of mom at times because I think there's that instance where she forgets that she has the knife in her hand. She, like she hallucinates and like the boy's in the couch and she gets up and he's like, mom. And yeah, she has she's got the knife. She doesn't like have it 
over his head or anything, but she still just has it like clasped. Yeah, like hollow, like 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 Michael Myers in Halloween, just like kind of back, but not like she's actually gonna stab him. Yeah, um, and I think this was this the long night because yeah, because the conclusion of this film, it's really interesting because the way time starts to work here is it feels like this night goes on for a week. It does. It, it does. This this is kind of just finishing up in one evening. Um, the boy, she catches the boy on the phone. She hears like scratches or knocks or something. She goes downstairs and the boy is on the phone. He's called the neighbor. He's like, "Mom's not okay. I want to. Can we come over and stay the night?" She's like, "Listen, mom." She says, "We can come over and stay." And that's when she cuts the phone cord. Um, that's when she stays up through the whole night and she ends up over him with a knife. Um, but the kid starts to retaliate a bit. Uh, he ends up. Sh- I laughed so fucking hard. Um, he ends up going in the basement and he shoots her in the arm with his uh, his crossbow and <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Um, he ends up stabbing her too, which is pretty funny as well. Um, and he has this little catapult. They, he, I don't know exactly what it is, but he launches like a ball and it hits her right square in the fucking noggin. Well, he trips her too, so she smacks her head down. That there. comes at the very end. Yeah, but um, she gets a dart in the shoulder and a ball in the face, and then the boy runs away. And in between this, Gam Gam shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Gam Gam comes to the door. <laughs> she, this made me almost tear up. Yeah, me too. It's so sweet. Me too. I was like, ah, oh, god damn it, it's, Grandma. I think this is kind of that breaking point. Oh, by the way, she kills the dog and she pulls a tooth out of her mouth, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Straight mom, up kills the dog. Yeah, she, uh, in the book, it it's like in the Babadook book, uh, we see that mom twists the dog's head around Sure enough, that's what mom does, basically. Which, again, if you've had thoughts of harming yourself or others, but she actually goes through with it. I don't know why that's here. It seems a bit excessive. The tooth thing? No, the killing the dog. The tooth thing was, like, you're ignoring, like, this is something that you're doing. Um, You're eating junk food, but you're also ignoring um, problems with, other problems with yourself to the point where you're deteriorating. Your, Your body's, your tooth is rotting. Um, I, her actually pulling it out is after the Duke's taken over. She's hit that, hit that breaking point. So that makes sense to me. It's the killing of the dog that was a thought I thought was a bit excessive. I don't know how you felt about it. Like, again, I'm not a dog guy. (laughs) So, so for me, it's like, okay, you know, it doesn't seem excessive to me, but like the tooth thing, I also kind of interpreted as like, think about like a, a nagging sensation. Mm-hmm. So like she has all these external pressures in the form of having to put on airs in front of you know friends and and family and the neighbors and whatnot. She has to tend to the child who is annoying the shit out of her. On top of that, she has her own body breaking down and causing her physical pain and discomfort. She can't sleep. It also only really happens when she's alone. It does happen at one point when she's with her sister, but I tried to I tried to pay attention. It to... happens when she's with the boy. I think when she's like driving him at one point. I think right after the hit and run, like she's, she, there's that great scene where it's like the camera's pulled way the fuck back and she's parked the car and the boy's just like kind of keeping his distance from her because he was in the car yeah, and he knows that wasn't good. No. But she's like taking a walk. Not far, but in her mind, she's taking a breather. Yeah. (laughs) And she's just like pacing around the outside of the car. And I think at one point she like touches her mouth and does gives a oh <laughs> yeah she does give a, like a ow that's yeah. that still hurts um, but yeah I, I I think you're right though that that it's it's supposed to show that she's 
kind of been neglecting like the most basic of bodily maintenance i guess yeah. oh, she's also poor by the way that could also have, like that that could also play into it as well i don't know if she has dental insurance um but yeah so you want to kind of we can wrap up with the climax kind of talk, talk yeah through this um she goes down to the basement and remember this is demon mom at this point this yeah is babadook mom um, she's gone yeah she's gone um, and funny enough, this is actually telegraphed to us way earlier in the movie, um, with the boy talking about what he was going to do to the, to the monster. Yeah. I think, it, I think he wasn't calling it the Babadook, but he said like, oh, if a monster comes, I'll, I'll trip it with this and I'll trap it in the basement. Um, sure enough, he does exactly that to mom. He does that. He has like a trip wire hooked up. It's, Again, this is a Australian Kevin McAllister. Yeah. Um, she bangs her head on the on the on the ceiling, and then she falls down the stairs. And he, Gulliver travels her. Uh, he, tie, he does a great job of tying her down. By yeah, the way, uh, the sequencing I'm getting tripped up in my mind. But she uh, she encounters her husband a couple times. It's I think yeah, it's right around here. But yeah, the the husband kind of comes in hallucination. It's when I think she goes she grabs the violin from downstairs. I think it was her husband's. That's yeah. That's. I think it was earlier in the earlier film. in the movie she she goes down to the basement which by the way is not a place the boy's supposed to go because yes. that's where all the dad stuff is yeah. um, but it's like his hideout where he has all his gadgets and like his magician's outfit and stuff um, but yeah she picks up his like viola or his violin or whatever and she's cradling at one point and uh, the boy I think is hungry and mm-hmm. he like tries to get her out of bed and he touches the violin she, oh and she, she snaps, snaps she snaps time. at him she's like don't touch her um yeah she she has a conversation with her husband and now we're kind of getting the telegraph of you need to kill the boy he's like oh we can all be together you need to give me the boy uh and she's yeah. now she's having thoughts about harming her child yeah uh, that was a little bit earlier i think that was around the time she had the knife i think a little right. before that yeah. but now she's been uh she, <laughs> she's been Gullivered. She's she's tied down and she is screaming. There's a few like I don't know if they. I'm gonna say they didn't modify it, and I think she's actually getting these guttural like kind of deep like you said Joker like you your theory is that Heath Ledger was like kind of modded a little bit. Like, I think look, yeah. I think it was legit. I think that I think he probably practiced doing that, getting really really low. You'd be surprised what you're capable of, um, <laughs> and especially if this is a performance. I think that they might actually try to channel that. Okay. And I think that how great of a job she's done so far, it's believable. But at the same time, yeah, it doesn't no, really matter. I, it could in, be modified. In her case, I, I think it was I think it was probably genuine. Yeah. I mean, her, her face, like the way she's contorting her face and the way she's beat red when she's doing it, uh, she's definitely exerting herself. <laughs> we, got a, we got a squeak toy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the uh, where were we at? Uh, screaming on the floor. Yeah, screaming on the floor. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she's like tied to the floor, and this this is some shibari shit. If you're familiar with that, that's the Japanese binding shit. Oh, it's kinky. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so the little boy, uh, if I remember right, he he's basically repeating over and over and over again. And uh, you're not my mother. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying, like, you're not my mother, but he also points out that it's like, I still love you. Yeah. And mom's not able to communicate at this point, but at one point he's on top of her and he's saying, like, you know, I love you. And she she breaks free of her bindings and she chokes him. Choking him. Oh, man. Like, I actually yeah. was fully prepared for this kid to 
to you were ready for to it. be dead right here. Yeah, <laughs> I remember watching it the first time. Like, oh, this is where it happens. Yeah, I was I was ready for it. <laughs> Didn't happen. Uh, no, uh, she she somehow is like choking him, and then I guess it just the spell kind of breaks on her, and she just breaks down. Uh, starts crying like, oh, maybe I shouldn't kill this kid. You know, he's mine. Um, she somehow gets out. Uh, I'm not. This is where I kind of got a little hazy. I, I don't know. Yeah, she breaks free with her binding. She tosses him aside instead of choking him. And yeah. If I remember right, she heads upstairs with him. Yeah. And then this is where we get that line that I told you off off air, where they're standing at the foot of the steps, and the boy just kind of shoots her a weird look. And there's nothing on the screen to, to give you a reason for that. So it's kind of like, it's a quizzical moment where it's like, uh, okay. And he says, like, y- you can never get rid of the Babadook. Like, yeah. He never, he'll never leave. Yeah. And then he gets yanked up the fucking stairs by an invisible force. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is, um, we're kind of, we're being seen what is supernatural, like something's pulling him. I think this is her, and I think this is, because this is where her breaking point is, where she's like, this has to stop. Like, I, I want to stop this, and I think that she's almost watching her behavior play out. And we're seeing it as kids kind of being thrown, being pulled up the stairs. I think she's actually doing this and trying to stop herself at the same time. Yeah, uh, there's... That that's where my understanding of of the events of this film kind of break down, because like like I had mentioned earlier, that like a couple of minutes later in the film, uh, we get to see the walls of the house start to crack. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those walls never cracked. I don't think so. Um, was mom tied down in the basement by her son? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, did did the boy shoot her with darts we saw that he had darts earlier in the movie she he definitely stabs her because they were and i'm pretty sure her arm was bound in like a cast or something at the end of the movie because they definitely talk about the stitches yeah so some stuff definitely happened i don't know how much of it though and i think that because of like he's uh, like stabbed her he shot at her and stabbed her and hit her with things i think that he's defending himself and i think that she's the one doing these things which i mean Kids not understanding that you can hurt somebody with a knife is one thing, but deliberately stabbing your mother, I think that comes from, I'm threatened. Like, I feel no, legitimately I mean, threatened. based on the fact that she had stitches and stuff, I, I think it goes without saying. He definitely what was in conflict with her, but exactly what happened and, like, how far things went, I don't know. I think it would have been, uh, maybe this isn't, obviously, I think this is almost a perfect movie. Uh, <laughs> this would have been a little bit more... Um, a little bit more interesting if we see her dragging him up the stairs, throwing him up against the wall. Because up until this point, we think it's Baba Duke, but if we actually are seeing, kind of like in Fight Club where they're fighting in real life, like oh, he, and he you get to see him beating himself, beating up himself on the security up, security camera footage. Kind of like an opposite. Like we think something else is happening, but it's actually her doing these well, things. Well, again, that was the theory that I was spinning before I watched the movie. Mm. Like when I was in the process of watching it, I was like, oh, the Baba Duke's not real. Yeah. Baba Duke's not real. It's all gonna be warm. And um, I mean, I would have liked to have seen that. I think it, it leaves, and I think. It, I think it's kind of left up to your interpretation of it. It's, yeah, it gets a little foggy as to there's there's it's very difficult to translate in a in a linear fashion. But at the same time, it's like what what we get is gripping and yeah. definitely well put together. <laughs> it's just a little confusing as to like how much of this is purely symbolic and how much of it has some truth to it. Um, but yeah, he gets yanked up the stairs and. <laughs> 
I laughed. She has the haunting, like her haunting address. Like you remember the end that of the speech? Hall? It's so is, stupid. Is complete and total dog shit. It's the dumbest part. Of it. It's never, about family. It's about family, Grandpa. It's about family. <laughs> <laughs> Even I'm, as a kid, I was, I was like, like this, "This is bad." This is. But you stick stupid. around because the CGI ghost dude. That's the only reason why you stick around for that scene. Oh, those kids. Yeah. Oh, no. God, they're so annoying. I have to rewatch that. It's so that bad. That movie is so bad, it's but so I've bad. watched it so many times. Uh, it's about I, family. <laughs> I kind of want to read the book. I feel like the book is probably really good. Well, isn't it a... It's a It's a remake. And the remake is apparently a classic. Um, and it has nothing to do with... like. It, I think it's purely psychological drama, as far oh, as I really? remember. I don't think there are any ghosts in it. It's about like a woman losing her mind. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, it is a remake. Okay. And House on Haunted Hill is too. Oh, I knew that. And uh, it has that's nothing that's, in common. That's a Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Yeah. I would like some Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch the uh, the abominable Mr. Fibes. Oh yeah, I want to see that too. It was in one of my monster books that I think mm. we had at the school library and like grade school i need to watch more vincent price movies vincent price vincent. i need yeah uh, me too he's lovely he's uh, from like maryland he's from Baltimore. he's from <laughs> creepy, yeah, creepy maryland uh so yeah she goes upstairs she has the confrontation with the baba duke and uh we end up she's like screaming at it this is like the breaking point where she's like i'm tired of this and uh the baba duke goes like into the basement door with all the father's things yeah uh that final confrontation with the baba duke uh funky dialogue aside I, i'm not I'm not going to criticize it. It's just kind of shocking that she says, don't you fucking touch my son, bitch. Yeah. But I did like that we never get a grand reveal of the Babadook. Yeah. Especially since when you think about the themes of the story and the fact that the Babadook more than likely is not intended to be like an actual entity. Yeah. Yeah. It's not meant to be an actual entity. It's purely symbolic of mom's inner conflict and whatnot. Her, her id. Yeah. Her dark side. Um, we get this shot that it's set up to be like a grand reveal where it's like you can see like the edges of his arms on both sides of the wall so it's meant to be this big gigantic thing that occupies half the room the walls of the house start to crack um and she's shouting into the darkness and it starts to like come into the light just barely but we never actually see it yeah it recedes into the darkness and then the last thing it does is it collapses in a heap on the floor um it's like shell basically so it's it's the babadook's uh, top hat and, and coat and gloves thank you coffee maker for <laughs> making our podcast have the loveliest of production values yes um and she walks up to the the heap of clothes and it's like groaning yeah like it sounds like it's in pain and again though we don't see anything underneath that the boy's like don't do it mom <laughs> of course you got to poke it though yeah um but then we get a shot entirely from its perspective uh, of like it rearing up like a bright light shining on mom's face and then it does the evil dead cam where it flees down the stairs and into the basement yeah um it's really interesting because again any a different movie with different subject matter that would be like the the hurrah moment where it's like oh that's the bitchin monster it's like no we're not doing that might it might uh, like kind of speak to like how mental like depression mental illness isn't as cut and dry or easy to define like it's not as easy to like shine a light on it's a little more difficult and complicated well, the, the thing that really tied it all together for me anyway um wasn't so much the the ending sequence because i found that yeah i found that a little 
eh, too much, it, it, it complicated things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really tied it together for me, though, was just that line from the boy saying, like, you can never get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Like, the Babadook's always going to be here. Um, and then the fact that the Babadook flees into the basement, and then we see at the very end of the film that it's like, it's still there. So it's, like you say about mental illness, it's it's difficult to define, it's difficult to shine a light on, and truthfully, it's, in some instances, it, it's incurable. Yeah. It's, it's just something that's going to be there. All you can do is try to understand it and control it, or anticipate it at the very least. Yeah, yeah, and we get we get the shot of them getting um, like worms out of the garden, and she takes the worms downstairs. And this is where we learn that the Babadook is still downstairs. And I took this as she's dealing with it. She's dealing with what caused the Babadook to come, and she's dealing with this monster. And uh, the the um, the boy even says like after she gives the the Babadookas thing. You notice the noise it makes. It comes down like full, like, uh, like full blast at her. But then she's like, "It's okay." And it's like, "Oh, it makes yeah. like a little." And again, we still never see it. No. Um, <laughs> the shot of her leaning back and doing the the uh, la- lady on ice skates moment. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of a goofy shot because yeah. she's like doing the windmill arms leaning backwards. Yeah. Um, it's a little goofy, but yeah, it gets up in her face and she's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then it takes its worms and hides in the shadows. Um, but basically what's implied here is that mom's problems and mom's baggage are still there. Uh, they're just being confronted in some capacity and are being kept under wraps, I guess. Well, she even said, I think that she's in therapy, uh, because she even says, no, don't make a sound while I'm in there. Yeah. Which is kind of like, I'm going in here for a while. You be quiet out here in the waiting room while I'm talking with the therapist. Well, yeah, and so much of the like the first 30, 40 minutes of this movie are that. It's it's her very obviously needing to get away from the play. Yeah. <laughs> like needing just not even like counsel or therapy, just like time to be herself, yeah. time to exhale. And... <laughs> Like I said, the the catalyst for so much of the story is the boy coming home. The mm-hmm. boy not the boy being in her hair twenty four seven as opposed to going away for you know six to eight hours a day. Um, doesn't he have like a seizure in the back seat or something? Yeah, or? that's when she goes to the doctor, and that's when he's like, "We don't know what the problem is," and she gets the medication. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's like this is this is probably a situation where mom has had serious problems for the past six years, but we're. This is the perfect time to start the story. Kind of. um, we didn't need to see all that beforehand. This is the more interesting part of it. I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian Patton Oswalt. I'm sure you've seen him in, oh, yeah. in a lot of stuff. King of Queens, man. <laughs> he has this really funny bit about uh, his depression. He says that he uh, he went off... He was either going to go off his uh, antidepressants for a little bit, or uh, he was. And he's just like... Just because I wanted to treat my my depression, he's like I just wanted to like give him give him something back because I've shut him out, so I just wanted to let him back in. He's like, "Hey, Patton, do you want to like sit on the on the couch and watch the Princess Bride eleven times? <laughs> like, I just want to like get in my bathrobe for three days and just just give my depression a little attention." <laughs> and it's the funniest bit. It's so clever, but this kind of reminded me of that where she's like kind of giving it attention giving it feeding it a little bit but it, it's it means two entirely different things it just it just popped mom, up with mom really needs funny. to get herself a heavy bag yeah just un- unload on that shit <laughs> exercise sleep 
cognitive therapy, antidepressants, and journaling. That's how you help cope with depression. It's like, I'm here to help, Mom. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, like I said at the top, like, I really, like, re-watching this, I was expecting more uh, spooky scary, like a werewolf or mitzvah, but uh, I, w- I actually just liked it much more as a drama, and I think it's one of the, probably one of the neatest um, examples of exploring mental illness in a film i think it's done really well and uh i wish there was more stop motion that's the only thing yeah no i mean i I think we got as much as we needed Mm -hmm. uh, especially like i said with the the idea of the babadook not being a traditional monster or entity it's it's purely a manufactured like psychosis of some sort um yeah the the thematic content of this it actually kind of makes me think about about the babadook book itself Oh, it's like I have a a Marvel comic um, that's about uh, the Red Skull, uh, oh. who was an agent of the Nazis, um, and there's this really excellent graphic novel that uh, it's called Incarnate. It's Red Skull Incarnate, and uh, it's about uh, the rise of Nazism in in Germany. Yeah, um, and it's told from the perspective of the Red Skull as a very young boy. So as far as I recall, he's never actually the Red Skull. We just get to see a troubled young boy grow up in this environment and, you know, be exposed to horrible things and do horrible things. Um, And in the back of the book, in the back of the trade paperback, uh, there's actually a teaching guide. It's like a lot of thought and a lot of research was put into the renderings of like the environments and and the clothing and the dialogue. And like the political climate in which the story is supposed to take place. And the comic is actually like structured in such a way that's like, you know, if you wanted to do a little bit of a unit about how this shit happened, you know, this is a, this is a very palatable introduction for, like, for young folks. Interesting. And something like the Babadook exploring this very difficult, very dark subject matter that affects a lot of a lot of people across all nations across all nations and cultures and races and whatnot um this is probably a very good introduction to some of those themes that's like you know (laughs) do you really want to end up like mom (laughs) yeah because you know this is this is entirely possible for for someone out there to to go through this exact story and you know develop some very serious problems uh due to not ever confronting those problems yeah um so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this movie gets used in like teaching courses and whatnot and i've actually heard that this is a very popular i mean it's on the list of movies like very popular contemporary horror movies it's not one i hear about much discussed i mean especially not now but this is i think one of the most underrated uh horror movies i've seen because it does such a good job of mashing up drama more like it's more 70 percent drama 30 percent horror yeah but the pacing itself is a horror movie uh i just think it's a fascinating fascinating film yeah no i I think it's a excellent production from top to bottom which makes me curious about what the nightingale the nightingale i'm very looking Uh, forward because i've heard it's very good i've also heard it's very violent uh i could see that um i don't know what the budget's going to be for that movie uh i I'm actually, if it's going to be really violent, I'm gonna, I'm curious about that now. Like, what what do we... I've seen a few, just, like, not even a trailer, just a few images from it. And mm-hmm. it looks like it's a period drama. It's like a revenge tale of some sort. So it's, yeah. it's more drama than horror, but apparently... It, and it's it has, on the frontier, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, I might be thinking of a different movie. The actually. uniforms made me think uh, people of a different nation for sure. Not certainly I'm, not American. I'm not sure if they're Aussies. In it, I'm though. thinking about a different horror movie that takes place on the frontier. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry, I, I digress. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, I'm glad you made me watch this because it, it it's something I've been aware of since it came out, and I've heard nothing but good about it. And now that I've seen it, it's like yeah, I can confirm that it's a great fucking movie in a lot of ways. Like, but it wasn't good in the way you were thinking. You weren't. Were you prepared for this, or were you expecting more horror, more jump scares? Uh, more I was actually expecting less horror. Interesting. Um, I was expecting, like I said, I was expecting the grand reveal to be that that mom had lost her shit and we wouldn't do any supernatural shit. So oh. just be her like antag- antagonizing her son in like the cruelest way possible. Cause like, just think of that, like coming up with a, a nightmare inducing story just to, just to like stick it to your son yeah, <laughs> and then like drive him to madness or something because you've already gone mad. You just haven't realized it. That was the story that I had in mind. And in my mind, the ba- the Babadook would never show up. Interesting. But what we got is definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And definitely look forward to seeing more of what this lady had to offer. But um, yeah, so next week, uh, the next week is going to be way more killer. Uh, <laughs> we have got a body count coming up next week. Uh, fucking finally. It is. Fucking finally. The movie is rightfully called Sinister. It's one of the creepier movies I've seen. Uh, I had to shut it off, like I said. And come back to it another day uh, when I wasn't by myself in a house at night. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so stay tuned for next week. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah.